I have a um, deal with my children that um, that I will not mention them in a sermon if I don't get their permission first. Um, so I got permission from my six-year-old boy, but he wanted to remain anonymous. But he did say, <laughs> uh, he knows I'm saying this. He knows. He did say I could tell you that his name rhymes with Benry. I'm very thankful that he let me use this because I think it's helpful. So we've gotten into this habit that if he is at the top of the stairs and sees me standing at the bottom of the stairs, there is probably a 90% chance that he's going to come flying down the stairs full speed, get to about six steps from the bottom, and take a flying leap into me, arms gripping around my neck, legs gripping around my waist. It is like a scene from a Spider-Man movie, I guess, except um, he's not clinging on to a building that is anchored in bedrock. No, he's clinging on to me. He's putting his faith in his dad, who is certainly not nearly as strong as his son thinks he is. (laughs) Why would he do this? He obviously has faith, right, on some level that he will be caught. And it's certainly not a blind faith. He's not going to do this to his grandmother. He's not going to do this to his two-year-old brother. But he will do it to his dad. Because he's built his trust on the fact that we've done this over and over again. And I've never let him fall. If he gets bigger, I might. (laughs) Not on purpose. But as of now, as of now, this is something that he knows will happen, that he knows he will be safe and secure. He's decided that the thrill of flying through the air, the joy of landing in my arms, is worth the risk of bodily harm because he knows and he trusts and he has faith in the outcome. I want you to keep that in mind as we look at the book of Hebrews today. Beginning a new sermon series. The next few weeks, we are going to focus um, solely and exclusively on the book of Hebrews. And I need somebody to turn this on for me. I've never used it before. Um, thank you, Father Tripp. So while Tripp turns that on, we're, we're focusing on the book of Hebrews. And when we get, um, what we're going to do is start in or just stay in the whole time in chapter 11. And thank you. Um, and so. So today is like an introduction. What is biblical faith? What does it mean to have faith? And then as we go on in the series, what the author of Hebrew does and what we're hoping to do is is to pull out um, great heroes, faithful heroes in the scriptures and look at what faith looked like in their lives. Not just that they had it, but they lived it out and they demonstrated it. We're going to go over this for the next um, few weeks. And what we're also going to do, you'll find in your... um, Sunday News is this outline here. Um, I've given you an outline that I expect to fill in all these blanks by the end of the service. And then on the back of it, uh, there's a little take-home sheet. These are questions for um, you and your family or you and your life group or your own personal meditation where you can um, think about what we read and what we talked about this morning and, and, and tease out how that might work in your life. So that's, that's in, your, in your bulletin. You can follow along with that. Um, and so today, what we're going to do is begin in Hebrews 
Before we get to 11, we're actually going to start in chapter 10 at verse 32. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. You know I like it if you follow along. So if you've brought your Bible, by all means, pull it out. If you prefer to look at your Bible on your phone or tablet, that's, that's okay with me. Pull that out and, um, and follow along. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 32. And the first thing we want to talk about is the necessity of faith. That faith is actually essential now, on some level, you're thinking, I know that. But what, what we want to see is the context of the author of Hebrews. Why is this so important to what he is talking about and the necessity of faith? So let's read verses 32 to 34 of Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, and he uses this word enlightened, meaning um, once you came to a knowledge of Jesus, once you accepted Jesus as your Savior, is might how, maybe how we would put it today. Um, <clears throat> but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners to those who so treated, with those so treated. Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The Hebrews were facing some pretty intense persecution. This, this group, this community that this letter is written to, some pretty intense persecution. They were having, what does it say, a hard struggle with sufferings. Um, sometimes they were being publicly exposed, right, to reproach and affliction. Um, sometimes it, maybe it wasn't you who was suffering. Maybe it wasn't you who was being publicly shamed. But certainly you knew someone who was. You were partners with those who were being so treated. And if that was you, what you did as a Christian, because Christians were faithful to their brothers and sisters in Christ, you went and you visited your friend who had been thrown in prison for believing Jesus. And, and when that happened, what happened to you? Well, your property, what, was plundered. That's the world that these folks were living in. And so the first thing we need to realize when we talk about the necessity of faith is that, that we as Christians should expect to suffer, okay? But not just suffer, but to do so joyfully with a joyful sacrifice of the things of this world. I don't understand why we are surprised when we suffer, Jesus said we would suffer. He said the same people who are persecuting me are going to persecute you. We should not be surprised. The kingdom of God, friends, is, is subversive. It is subversive. It is undermining and undercutting the kingdoms of this world. And, and we cannot be allegiant to two kingdoms and if we're allegiant to the kingdom of God, we cannot be allegiant, we cannot give our allegiance to the kingdoms of this world. And the kingdoms of this world do not like the fact that we're allegiant to this one. And we will suffer because of it. It is not easy to follow Jesus. It shouldn't be. We should expect to suffer and to do so joyfully. To suffer with joyful sacrifice. How can we possibly do that? Well, let's read on. 
Because the author of Hebrews is eager to give encouragement to these folks who are, are suffering. Verse 35 and 36, and we're going to skip down to verse 39. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then on to verse 39. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Do you see that? What's happening here? Well, likely some folks in this community came to belief in Jesus Christ. And they started following Jesus. And they started realizing that that was going to be very costly to them. And they walked away. They gave up. We read in other, other areas in Hebrews where the author is exhorting them. He's saying, don't stop meeting together. Don't let people walk away. Stay together. Stay faithful. Don't leave because you are suffering. And so here we see him telling his readers to endure. And so we need to note this, that, that Christians are going to have to endure suffering. Endurance is needed in the midst of suffering. Um, the essential argument for the author of the Hebrews is, is this. Saving faith, a faithful knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is the first step in discipleship. Now, your discipleship continually has to go back to that. That's got to be the main thing, is coming back to the cross. But, but the realization is the more we, we focus on that, the more our faith will be deepened and the, the further we will walk with Christ. But to do that requires endurance. It is not a once-off thing like that and then you move on. It is something that you must endure is walking with Jesus. And so many were falling away, the author notes. But the disciples, the followers of Jesus, are encouraged. What does it say? Do not shrink back. They're in 39. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. So if we're going to endure, it's not going to be possible without faith. Not just a saving faith. It is that, but also a sustaining one that will bring us to the end of our journey faithfully in Jesus Christ. And so in the context that we're having here, that we're talking about here, the author is encouraging these Hebrews, this community, to faithfulness in the midst of persecution. And the question is, what does that look like? I'm hoping many of you are thinking right now, I want that kind of faith. Maybe I have that kind of faith. I'm not sure. But, but, but I, I get it, okay? Christians are expected to suffer. I want to joyfully sacrifice and endure. What does this necessary faith look like? Well, the first thing we need to sort of clear some ground is this. When we talk about the shape of our faith, we, we've got to be very clear that faith is not only intellectual belief. I think we've, we've come to a point where we've almost separated our, our minds and our bodies, and we, we try to convince people to believe something with their heads. Okay, and so many of you in here, I'm sure, and maybe, not, maybe all of you, I don't know, but, but, but most of you would, would say, I believe in my head that Jesus Christ is my Lord. But the Bible doesn't separate these things. 
The Bible can't separate what you know from what you do. It can't separate um, <clears throat> ideas you believe in your head to, to how you live that out in your life. The Bible has, has no understanding of, of a faith without actually following up on that, without works is what James says. It's not that the works save you, but, but the faith leads to them. There's no, there's no separation of this in Scripture. And so faith is not only intellectual belief. What is faith, though? Let's read on. Verse, chapter 11 now, verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> so faith, the author says, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is the conviction of things unseen, or the assurance, excuse me, the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things unseen. So what what does this mean? Let's unpack that a little bit. Um, The assurance of things hoped for. This word assurance, okay, um, actually uh, looking in the Greek of this word um, is, is, is hypostasis, in case you're interested. That's extra credit. Um, it's a very nuanced word. And so when we read assurance, we think like, oh, yeah, I know this is going to happen. I'm sure of this, so that this is going to happen. But, but this is, is, is translated um, substance sometimes. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's what your King James Version would say. Um, thanks is, the faith is the sure foundation is another way of putting this, the, the thing you would stand on. Um, it, it's, it's a very powerful word. And I think one way to think about it is this. Assurance, faithful assurance, is confidence in a future hope that becomes to us a present reality in our souls. Okay? We're not just sure that something's going to happen in the future. We are so sure that it's going to happen that it is actually affecting us now in such a way that we live our lives as if it's already true. We are so sure in the things hoped for that we are grasping them as things that we already have. That is the type of faithfulness that the author of Hebrews is talking about. And in many ways, it's true. God is so faithful to his promises that these things are, they are happening. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is at hand. It is here. It's not final and it's not fulfilled, but the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we can live today in a world that doesn't apparently look like that as if it is already true. That is a very strong faith. And so what are the things hoped for. We're hoping, right, for the return of Christ. We're hoping for the defeat of evil. We're hoping for the final establishment of God's kingdom, right? We're hoping for heaven on earth because that's what the Bible has promised. The end of Revelation, the new Jerusalem descends and all creation is restored and renewed and there is no suffering and there is no evil and there is no death and there are no more tears. That is our hope and we live today as if it is true. The implications of this are astounding. But one in particular means you don't have to live your life 
in fear of consequences. You don't have to worry about, should I do this thing that is ethically right, but I know it will provide much suffering for me, or should I do this thing that I know is wrong, but it will be a much easier path? Because the suffering you would experience from following Jesus is nothing compared to the glory that awaits you that is already a reality in your heart. Do you see that? And so if you're at work and you have to make an ethical decision, if I rat out my boss, I'm going to get fired. But if I play along with his games, I'll be okay. You don't have to worry about the consequences of that choice. And that list can go on. Faith is assurance of things hoped for. It is also the conviction of things unseen. So just like this word for assurance, this word for conviction is a bit nuanced. And so, for instance, in your King James Version, you would see um, that faith is the, um, the substance of things hoped for and the um, proof, I believe it says, or evidence, I think it's proof of things unseen, of invisible things. So let's read verse 11.3. I put that up there? No. Um, verse 11.3, if we were to read on, sort of illustrates this for us. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So what he's saying is, he's saying, faith is the conviction, the proof, the evidence of things you can't see. Here's an example. When you look at the world around you, when you look at God's creation, you are so amazed at the glory and the beauty of it that you are convinced there is a God, that you are convinced there is a divine creator, that you are convinced that this just did not happen by chance. And so it is with our faith. Our faith convinces us in the truth of God. And the truth of God convinces us to be faithful. We are convicted. We are convinced. We are, we are proven. The things unseen are proven to us by our faith. It's kind of like my son jumping off the stairs, right? Time and time again, it has been proven to him that he will not fall. And time and time again, God has proven to us that he fulfills his promises, that he forgives sins, that he is a God who will not forsake us. Time and time again, read your Bible. That's what we're going to do in this study. We're going, to, we're going to read our Bibles and see that God does not let his people go. He does not let them down. And that is evidence, that is proof for us that we might have this assurance, this faith. And so as we see it described in this book of Hebrews, faith is this inner confidence in things that we hope for, that the promises of God will come true. And it's based on the evidence of God's past performance. We trust that the future promises will come true because the past ones have already happened. My son is assured of the hope that I will catch him, but this assurance is based on the past evidence that I've done it before. We are assured that God will save us because we know he's never let us fall before. That is the shape of our faith. 
what is the reality of this faith? Well, I've inserted a line. It's not on your outline for those, those of you type A's who are filling all the blanks. Um, it's not in there, but, but the first point we need to know about what is the reality of your faith is this. Your faith is weak. Okay, I come away from this thinking, wow, that's a pretty high bar. I know for a fact that I don't always live that way, live make choices, make decisions um, in spite of the suffering they'll bring. I don't like suffering. It's easier to avoid it. Our faith is weak, but the faith of Jesus is strong. Our Savior is the one who prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweated blood because he knew that obedience would require him not only to be crucified, but to experience complete separation from God the Father. This same faithfulness that, that brought Jesus to the cross is on display as he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us, okay? Sitting there at the right hand of God, praying our prayers to God. That is what Jesus is doing right now. Our faith is weak. It's not perfect. It will be one day, but it's not right now. But the faith of Jesus Christ is strong. And so never... Never let anybody tell you that your faith is not strong enough. That is a lie. Because your faith is rooted in the faith of Jesus Christ. And his faith is abiding and perfecting and saving. And his faith will deliver us to the final day. Your faith is weak. Um, Second two points, I want to bring them together. Um, Through faith... Sinners are justified and the shamed are honored. Some of you, God willing, we hope that folks who don't know the Lord are still coming here to check it out anyway. And if that's you, you might have been separated from God for a long time. You might not know you're separated from God and you might just be realizing it. And I want to tell you that faith in Jesus Christ will unite you to God. It will justify you. It will make you righteous in his eyes because of the work of Jesus Christ. And others of you are here, and you're ashamed. You've done things you know you shouldn't have done. You're being shamed in your communities, in your workplace. Maybe it's not a public shaming, but a private one that you've put on yourself. And I want to tell you that in Christ, those who have been shamed are honored. Your shame is wiped away and you are honored through the glory of Jesus Christ. And that is the faith. That is the beginning of a walk with him, of discipleship with Jesus that will help you know and be rooted in these great promises of God that will change your life. And then finally, through faith, the suffering endure. Um, Many of you are suffering. A a big source of suffering is sickness and illness. Um, More and more we're facing public decisions that we have to make that are going to cause us pain and suffering. And you've got to remember that in spite of that, we will endure. That our faith looks into the future. It roots itself in the promises of God in the past. And it says that these things are true. These things have happened and will happen, and they will give me power to live faithfully today through the Holy Spirit. Your faith through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ will produce endurance. 
And that endurance will be a witness to the gospel. And that one day you will be brought before the king of glory. And he'll look at you and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Have your reward. I pray that through the sermon series, your faith will be awakened in a new and powerful way. It will be deepened and strengthened, but above all, that you will turn to Jesus Christ once and for all for your final source of faithfulness. Um, and that if you don't know him, you'll come to the saving knowledge of him over these weeks ahead. So why don't we close in prayer and pray for these things. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. that you give us this gift of faith that would allow us to fling ourselves to you and cling to your promises. May we stand firm in your faithfulness, Lord, that we might know our salvation and that we might endure because you suffered, that we might joyfully suffer alongside you. We ask these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.